Aleda, sadly, um, our PA kits got some gremlins on Sunday morning, so we were unable to record the sermon. Um, and so here we are re-recording um, the sermon from Sunday, just gone 22nd of March, and it's Psalm 22, verses 22 to 24, as part of our series leading up to the cross. The importance of names keeps coming up in life at the moment, cropping up in at various places and in various ways, in various circumstances and situations. And names, of course, are very important when it comes to us reading the Bible. To know someone's name gives us a, a relationship of sorts, a, a delegated power even. You, you see it when Moses encounters God at the burning bush. Do you remember the story? Where in Exodus, God has commissioned Moses to go to Pharaoh and say to him on behalf of God, Pharaoh, let my people go, release them from captivity in Egypt. But have a listen to what Moses responds. It's verse 11 of Exodus 3. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. You will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me what is his name, and what shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. And you see, so, so God's name reveals something about him. It reveals his, his eternality. It reveals the fact that he is non-referential, that is, God is who he is, and everything else is compared to him and not vice versa. God's name reveals something of the authority with which Moses comes. And his name too, he says, remember the covenant. Remember that I am the God of your fathers, of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And names are important. They are, that's a fact that's true for the Bible more generally. But I think it's true in particular for Psalm 22. God's name is foundational to the way that the psalm works. Maybe you've noticed it as we've been in Psalm 22 over the past few weeks or as you've discussed it or reflected on it at home groups. But, but it all starts off very distant. Do you remember verses 1 and 2? He's simply God. It's my God. Sure, there's a, there's a personal element still. But then that jars even more. He, he's personal, he's my, and yet he's distant, he's far off. And that first section closes in verse 10, and again with my God. And, but then verse 8, have a look. That the covenant relational name of the Lord, of Yahweh, is not on the lips of the psalmist. That name is on the lips of his mockers, his taunters, those who are scorning him, which which must have felt like like daggers to his soul. It's as if they're saying, do you remember your covenant Lord? Do you remember the all-powerful one who rescued you from Egypt, that he will be your God and you will be his people, Lord? Do you remember him? Or where is he now? And then verse 19, 
the end of last week's little section, it's the first time he mentions Lord. He uses that covenant relational name. Is this the turnaround? There have been there have been glimpses of light and hope in the darkness along the way, and but it's as if they've been false starts. Almost little conversations with himself. But is this the new dawn? Is this the darkness being chased away? Is he beginning to trust again? Is he beginning to remember who the Lord is? Let me remind you of first nineteen to twenty one from last week. In many ways those verses are the pivots of the psalm, the the hinge upon which it all swings. And he says, But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. And you see, from here on in, things are different. The sun rises. The darkness is gone. The new day arrives, and it's a day of worship. Verse 22, I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honour him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him but has listened to his cry for help. Before we jump into those three verses, just remember as we're considering Psalm 22, we're we're considering it in many ways on three levels. The first level is from the perspective of King David. It's a a prayer that he pens. It's an experience of his. It's something that he's gone through. And and yet we've said all along, it, it feels as if it's a couple of sizes too big for David. The depths that we read of in the psalm don't quite match up to any depths that we know of his experience. The heights that he sings of too don't quite match up to any heights that we know of from him and his life. So it's David, but but it's more than David. So the second level is for Jesus. On the cross, during his feelings of being utterly forsaken and abandoned, he, he takes the initial verses of this psalm upon himself as if he's telling us what it's like my god my god why have you forsaken me why are you so far from saving me but you see the the parallels with jesus experience and david's don't just end there the the New Testament writers seem to have Psalm 22 in mind as well, whether it's in the Gospels, so Psalm 22, verse 7 and 8, the people mocking his trust in God, taunting him. Verse 15 and 16, his, his pierced hands and feet, his, his thirst. Verse 18, his clothes being divided amongst his persecutors. Or even verse 22 of Psalm 22, the the writer to the Hebrews uses this verse, outlining that because of God's faithfulness to his suffering Messiah, there is there is praise, there is thanksgiving, and, and the people become brothers and sisters. This is a 
This is a prophetic psalm about Jesus, about his suffering, his death, his resurrection, and what that achieved. But but it's still more than that. The third level that we're considering at is us. Because you see, in the muck and the mess and the brokenness of life, these are words from God for us. To help us speak to him. When it feels like everything's falling apart. When perhaps God feels absent, distant, far off. When we don't know what to do or to say. Well, well, here are some words from God that we can say. So let's jump in. Have a more careful look at verse 22 to 24 and What we'll do is we will split the verses in half just after verse 23. So in the first half, verse 22, 23, the psalmist says, it's very simple, he says, Praise the Lord with me. Let me read them again. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honour him, revere him. All you descendants of Israel. See, see, he begins to use his name again. His precious name, Yahweh, the Lord. The personal covenant keeping powerful God. The God of his ancestors. The God who brings freedom from enemies to a people oppressed in Egypt. The God who brings freedom from enemies to a man oppressed and taunted and mocked. And so when he says, I will declare your name, verse 22, to my people, he means he's declaring, he's reminding them, he's recalling for them the kind of God he is. His his name reminds them of his character, his faithfulness, his goodness, his kindness, his power. You see, the, the scorns and the taunts of the mockers from the previous verses are now drowned out by the cries of praise and thanks from the faithful. It's possible, it's possible that what's going on is in the midst of the pain he had made a vow to God. You you get that in verse 25. And you see what happens in a vow is when God answers, when he hears your prayer, or so the vow maker will gather and call his people to praise with him. Whether his people are his family or, or faithful Israelites, those who love the Lord. And together they will praise God for answering the vow. And so it's striking that what you get in verse 22 is both horizontal and vertical. Both him at the horizontal level calling others, almost like a worship leader, to to praise God with him. Reminding them, encouraging them, urging them, spurring them on. To praise God. But then also at the vertical there to praise him. and To rejoice in him with the psalmist for what he's done in rescuing the psalmist. I take it that's an important thing for us to to latch on to. It's the same kind of pattern that Paul writes of in Colossians or Ephesians. that, That our worship of God works at both levels. Week by week as we come to church or as we meet up as Christians in home groups or with 
other things, whatever it might be, there are two aspects going on. It can be very hard to be a Christian. So meeting together is a precious gift and it's good to gather and be encouraged to to share testimony of his goodness, to encourage each other, to praise him, to remind one another of what he's like, his name, his character, to say to one another, keep going. Don't forget him. It, it, it is worth it. He is worth it. You see, the danger is in a culture that says faith is only ever to be personal and private, well then, bit by bit we begin to believe that. And we forget that we need others. And we forget that they need us. Like the psalmist here in verse 22, we, we need to be those who who declare to others what God is like and to call them to praise him with us. But also, we need them to do the same to us. I know I need you to do that for me. And so you see, David is like a worship leader, like a a Lewis or a Kitty, calling the people to praise God with him. And so what does he say, verse 23? He says, do you fear the Lord? Well then praise him. And to to fear the Lord? Well, Well, at first glance, it's not a massive part of this passage, but dig a bit deeper, and I think it is. I think you'll see how crucial this is. Fear in many ways in our culture is seen as a bad thing, as only a bad thing. But I would go as far as to say that to fear the Lord is at the heart of what it means to follow him. Let me just back up a bit and work that through. You see, as you you read the Bible, essentially it speaks of two and only two big kinds of fear. The first kind of fear is a bad fear. The Bible speaks of it as a fear that springs from our desire to control the world around us. It's that fear of losing what's important to us, whether it be our job or our family or our reputation or our health or our lives. A a fear where we are at the centre. Sometimes that means hiding from what we fear. In the hopes that it can't find us. Other times it means trying to trying to control every little minute detail of our lives, clinging tight to what matters most to us. But you see, the second kind of fear that the Bible speaks of is a good fear. Because it stands up to all our other fears. It brings wisdom and joy and rest and life. It's, it is a holy fear. It is the fear of God. Have a listen to a couple of verses. Proverbs 14 and verse 26. Whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress and for their children it will be a refuge. Proverbs 19 verse 23. The fear of the Lord leads to life and he who has it rests satisfied. Well then again Psalm 112 and verse 1. Praise the Lord how joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying his commands. John Piper, the retired um, American pastor and author, prolific writer, describes the fear of God for us in ways far better than I can, in very vivid terms. He says, think of it like this, it's as if we were caught in a terrible storm while exploring an Arctic glacier. And he writes like this, 
He says, at first there was the fear that this terrible storm and awesome terrain might claim your life. But then you found a refuge and gained the hope that you would be safe. But not everything in the feeling called fear vanished from your life. Only the life-threatening part. There remained the trembling, the awe, the wonder, the feeling that you would never want to tangle with such a storm or be the adversary of such a power. The fear of God is what is left of the storm when you have a safe place to watch right in the middle of it. Oh, the thrill of being here, in the centre of the awful power of God, yet protected by God himself. So do you see, in a sense, fear is, is fundamental in defining who the followers of God are. My friends, do you fear him? Do you fear him? Does your fear of him trump your fear of the world? Do you know something of that awe and yet safety? Well, David says to us, praise him if you do. Because he continues and he hits it home really in the second half of verse 23. And have a look down with me. And what you get there is technically called a, a chiasm. It's a sandwich construction. And as always, the key thing about a sandwich, if we're honest, is what's in the middle. Now, Peter Lever's homemade bread at church lunch might be very, very good. It might be delicious, but but we need the filling to perfect it. And so verse 23, have a look down and spot the sandwich with me. Have a look. All you descendants of Jacob, honour him. Revere him. All you descendants of Israel. See the structure? What's the bread either side? You see, it's descendants of Jacob. Descendants of Israel. People of God. Either side of the bits of bread. But honour him and revere him is in the middle. That's the meat. That's the best stuff. And of course, honour him, revere him. That's pretty closely linked to fear him. Put him first. Bow to him. Make your worship, make your all, make your life about him. In the context, I wonder if it's particularly fearing, honouring, revering him because of his rescue. Because the Lord's gracious hand has brought David out of hardships. Because he's been delivered. And you see, this fresh glimpse of who God is means that he bows the knee again and he calls his people to do the same. Wouldn't it be extraordinary to be a church that clearly feared and honoured and revered him? Whose lives, whose worship, whose everything spoke volumes of the awe and the majesty of the power of God. The things that we say and the things that we do and the things that we don't say and the things that we don't do. Perhaps especially because of his rescue of us, because of the cross, so we fear him. Maybe have a think in home groups this week about how we do that, what that might look like, what that might mean. It seems to me too often in our days the language of the fear of the Lord is seen as as a negative thing, a backwards thing, a regressive thing, and Jesus is simply our mate he's here to serve us here to meet my needs and 
But you see, friends, if we lose that aspect of fear, we do so at our peril. We, we shape God into the kind of safeguard we're happy with at our peril. Because really what happens then is we just end up becoming God. Moulding him, forming him, shaping him into a God that meets our needs. We've already said it too, but it's striking. But in verse 22, the writer to the Hebrews picks it up and gives us just another angle, another commentary on what's going on, because he says, he says there that Jesus sings. Hebrews 2 and verse 12, both the one who makes the people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters in the assembly I will sing your praises. Do you see, because of God's rescue of David, so he calls his brothers, he calls his people to praise God. Whilst the writer to the Hebrews shows us the parallel and says, because of God's greater rescue of Jesus, so he not only calls people to praise God, but by his rescue he has formed them into a new family. Now he has brothers and sisters who will praise God. You see, the emphasis in the Hebrews chapter is not so much the actual call to praise, but the new people who are called to praise through the cross. And why are they praising? Well, verse 24, and this is the second point. Why praise? Well, for he heard my cry for help. There are different tactics out there. As you go to various churches or as you read bits of the Bible, helping us praise God, there's a right sense in which we simply, regardless of feelings, ought to praise him. Praise him for who he is. Praise him that he is the creator. Praise him that we are the created. Elsewhere in the Psalms, you will read of the psalmist almost stirring up his soul to do just that. But here it's not praise, if you like, in the abstract. Here it's praise with a context he's not saying just do it because you should he's saying do it because of my story praise with me because I have experienced and enjoyed the Lord's rescue for myself it's not something he has to work up in him it's praise that bubbles over and out because of what the Lord has done for him Verse 24, he's not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He's not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. And we miss it on the way past so very easily, but just take a moment. Isn't it extraordinary that the almighty, powerful, awesome God of the universe listens? That, that he listens to people like us. He doesn't just listen. No, he, he answers. You see, the darkness is departing. The feeling of forsakenness is fleeing. And the Lord has heard his cry for help. Literally, it's the afflictions of the afflicted one have not been ignored by God. Maybe for a while it felt like they were. Perhaps God has, in whatever was going on in David's life, whatever situation or sin it was, maybe God had turned away but just for a time, now now he's back. Now his face is not hidden anymore. 
Maybe he was he was forsaken, but not ultimately forsaken. And so do you see, friends, we are those who can praise. Maybe looking back over your life, that's your testimony. Maybe you can see that God has been with you through specific hardships. And you can praise him as he sustained you. As he's preserved you, protected you, got you through, kept you going, grabbed onto you. Or maybe for some of us this morning, this is simply the ongoing daily reality at the moment. Maybe we feel like God is gone. Maybe life hasn't turned out how we planned that it would. Maybe there's a a future uncertainty that's making you anxious. Maybe it's that upcoming call with the hospital to get our test results. Maybe it's that conversation that we, we know we need to have with a friend or a family member. Well, if that's you, know that he hears your cry for help. And in the midst of the very real pain, know that you can trust him. You can trust him to answer in the right way, and you can trust him to answer at just the right time. You can trust him because he's good. Or maybe it's simply that we that we're to be those who praise him because we know what God has done for us at the cross. And so even if life is hard, even in the midst of the mess and the pain and the affliction, this side of the cross we can have absolute certainty that we have been rescued from our sins. You see, as Jesus takes these words in Psalm 22 upon himself, we, we can praise and we must praise. And you see, the thing about this cross as Easter approaches, you see, as Jesus takes these words upon himself, in both in both the dark forsakenness and the bright hope, well, so we are joined to him. Just as we die with him in the darkness on the Friday, forsaken and broken and deserted, putting to death our old selves, Selves that are gone forever, so also, also we are raised again with him on the Sunday. We're raised to hope, to new life, and we can praise our Father, our Father who rescues us and who delivers us. And yet here's the thing. When praise is hard to come by, I think it often is in our culture, then... And I wonder, maybe we're focusing in on the wrong things. Maybe praise is hard to come by for us because because we can be so short-sighted and superficial and get so caught up in the things of the now. Maybe praise is hard to come by because simply our lives are dominated by the wrong kind of fear. It's not so much the fear of the Lord, but it's fear of other things. So if you're like me and sometimes you find it hard to praise God, you find yourself simply going through the motions, if indeed that, well, well, maybe we need to ask those questions. Perhaps we're too much in the now. Perhaps the frills and the trappings of everyday life make us so short-sighted and distracted and we've, we end up taking our eyes off him and off his beauty, his kindness, his goodness. If praise is hard to come by, what's the answer? From Just from these verses in Psalm 22? 
Or maybe we've forgotten what our real afflictions are. Maybe we've forgotten the sin and the mess and the brokenness and the reality of us standing before a holy God. And so then maybe we've taken our eyes off the glorious one who rescues and we've forgotten what he's like. We've forgotten what he's done. And and fearing, honouring, revering him can seem such a distance away from our daily walk with him. Do you know, we have so much to praise him for. It's extraordinary. He is so good to us. We know his name. We know what he's like. We know that he is kind. We know that he is good. We know that he is the God who rescues. And so as we... In a moment as we praise him, as the assembly, as the gathering of God's people together, let's declare his name to one another. Let's encourage and urge one another on. Let's build one another up. Let's call one another to praise him. And to remember who he is. To remember what he's like. To remember that even in the darkest times, he is the kind of God who rescues. Let's praise him. We're going to pray briefly and then we shall sing. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you are indeed not the kind of God who hides your face from us, but you are the kind of God who listens to cries for help. Thank you that you are good that we can trust you. We long that we might be with King David here, the kind of person to declare your name to our people, to encourage and urge one another to praise you, to be those who fear you, honour you, revere you, and to be those who, who look to the cross, who know that we are in Christ, and that we died with him on the Friday. We'll be raised again with him on the Sunday. Help us please. Regardless of what life is like. To trust you. To know that you are good. In your son's name we pray and for his glory. Amen.